You know, I just, I love, love, love that we sang that first song before we sang this song. Because there's something about when we remember what we believe that allows us to know why we can believe he won't fail. You know, as uh, Shelby and I, have, we have three young kids, and so we've done a lot of bedtimes. But what, it made me think, just singing these two songs made me think about bedtime at our house because um, all our kids have gone through seasons where they're afraid of the dark or you turn off the lights and all of a sudden the anxieties from the day kind of settle in on them and we end up, <laughs> as parents, you know, you're tired, you're at the end of the day, you're like, this is ridiculous. But for them, those fears are very real. And so for that reason, like we have a routine, as I'm sure many parents do, um, of things that you do, sing, say, before your kids go to sleep. And why do we do that? Because we want our kids to remember what's true in the midst of their fear, don't we? You know, one of the songs we have our kid, we sing every single night to the point where I'm like, can't we get some variety? But that's just what they want. It's this song that goes, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. That's it. That's all the song is. But they won't let us leave until we've sung that song. And what we just did was sing that song. We looked at who our God was and why he's a trustworthy God. And then we said, God, I can trust that no matter what I'm going through, you're going to be with me. You won't fail. And the reason some people say sometimes, well, why do you worship songs just repeat the same thing over and over and over again? Because we have to. <laughs> right? Because it, it is through that repetition that we are reminding ourselves that our feelings and our souls catch up with the truth. And so that's why I, I want us to, that's why these songs are beautiful and why we do what we do. Because before you go back into your week, we gather so that we can repeat the truths of God over and over again. Not because we don't think you don't know them, but because they haven't sunken in to shape us yet. And so, Lord, I pray that even as we prepare to open your word now and coming off of just repeating these songs, that we will be like kids. That we will just say, yes, sing it again, sing it again. And God, I thank you that while I am quite impatient with my kids' shenanigans sometimes, you are, so you are so patient with us that you never say, that's so ridiculous. But you say, hey, let me just remind you who I am again. And so, Lord, we receive that truth about you again, that you, there's only one God, three persons, that you, Father, sent God, sent Christ the Son, and you have given us your Holy Spirit. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in life eternal. We believe that you, Jesus, came in the flesh. We believe that you did not leave us alone, but that you redeemed us and saved us by your grace and through your sacrifice on the cross, and you rose again that we might have new life. And it is that reality that allows us to now say, you won't fail. And when we are afraid, we can trust in you. And God, so I pray that just this, this very reality might just be on repeat in our minds. And especially in those moments when we're most afraid or anxious or angry or confused. Lord, may we go back and remember. And may our souls, may our feelings, may our minds catch up with the truth. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said...
Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate you, man. All right, well, uh, we, we've been going through this New Testament letter called 1 John um, these last number of weeks, and we're back in it today. Now, if you haven't been, if this is your first time with us or your memory is short like mine, quick recap. 1 John is called 1 John because it's written by the Apostle John. The Apostle John was one of Jesus' closest apprentices or disciples who uh, was radically transformed by Jesus. That was mainly in his younger days that he was walking with Jesus throughout Galilee and Israel. But now he's writing this letter when he's a much older man. Um, And in his short lifetime, he has witnessed the church of Jesus explode from Jerusalem to across the Mediterranean world and beyond. I mean, it, it was a miraculous movement that could have only been a work of God. If you look at the history of this movement, we are still living in today. But John knew that just as is the case in our own world, that anytime there's a, a, an amazing movement of anything, there's always other people who look to try to take advantage of that movement to make a name for themselves. And that was equally true in that first century. Uh, and John knew that, that there are a lot of people out to these young churches claiming to speak about God, but they were not from God. And so John says, I want to equip instead the churches so that they know how to discern divine reality versus human fabrication, true from false. And as I think about and look around in our own society, I realize, man, that skill, discerning what's from God and what's not, is equally, if not more necessary today than it ever has been. I mean, we, we swim in a smorgasbord of religious and spiritual ideas. There are more options to what to believe about God than there are things on the cheesecake menu, cheesecake menu, factory menu, whatever you call it, right? Like, it is just, it is overwhelming. And to try to illustrate that, I want to, I want us to imagine for a second a hypothetical but possible day. All right, let's say that tomorrow morning, for example, you wake up, you open your eyes, and for a lot of us, you know, you might have your phone right next to you in the bedside table, so to try, while you're trying to wake up, you reach over for your phone, look at it to check what time it is, and you notice you got some, some notifications, so you go on social media for a second, and at the top of your feed, you see this inspirational quote that says, God is with you and he loves you today. Man, that's nice. But, but you put the phone down, you get up, you kind of get the crusties out your eyes, and then, then you get going, and when you go downstairs, you open up the Wall Street Journal, or maybe the app, if you like, prefer that kind of thing. And there's an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal saying, where the author is wondering how anyone can, could believe that God actually exists, given the amount of suffering and pain in the world. Well, that's quite different from what you, you just read, but instead you put that down and you reach over for this devotional book that a friend gave you. You open up the devotional book, you read it, it makes you feel good, you talk to God for a second, and then you get up, you get going, you start your day. And on your way to work, you're driving, you turn on the radio while you're flipping through, you land on NPR. On NPR, they're interviewing a professor of religion who is, is, is trying to explain what likely happened to the real historical Jesus, you know, especially since a resurrection is a myth, in his words. 
And meanwhile, as you're driving, you pass by this, this, this shop that's advertising tarot card or palm readings, saying, but, but honestly, at this point, you don't even notice it anymore because it's just on your commute every day. You go right by it. But eventually, you get to work, you settle in, and right as you're about to start, start working, Tom, your coworker, comes over and decides he wants to share his Halloween plans with you. You're like, you're not really interested. But Tom is not interested if you're interested. He's going to tell you anyway. And while Tom's talking, he goes on this tangent as to whether or not he believes that ghosts and spirits are real. And he says, I think they are. What do you think? You're like, Tom, I don't really care right now. i got to get to work. You're like, okay. So you get back to work. You put in a few more hours. Finally, your lunch break comes. You go over. You pull out your dinner leftovers from the night before. And you realize, ah, i got to figure out how to fix that one thing on my car. So you pull out your phone. You open up YouTube. And there's, you're looking up for how to fix your car videos. But underneath all of that, you notice there's an advertisement where there's this snazzy-dressed preacher-looking man with the title of the video that says, Find Your Destiny. And work is boring. So you thought, you know what? I could find that. So you, you click on that. And ultimately, this guy ends up talking about, hey, hey, if you, if you want to bend like me, a mansion like me, have faith like me. Like, really? Okay. You put that down. I'm not sure if you buy that kind of thing or not. Uh, but then put a few more hours at work. Um, and then on the way home, you're driving. You stop at a red light. You notice the car in front of you has a bumper sticker that says, God is coming back and she is angry. It, note to self, don't fender bender that person, all right? <laughs> Give some space. But eventually you make your way home. And you're, while you're making dinner, you're listening to worship music, helping you kind of decompress from the day, and then eventually you go to bed. Before you go to bed, you decide, hey, I'll, I'll spend a few minutes again on social media. And you end up on one video where the self-proclaimed prophet is healing people on the stage. And then you scroll further down and... There's a former pastor who's saying that he believes that the life and the teachings of Jesus are, are beautiful, but he's not sure what's true anymore. Well, at this point in your day, you're way too tired to have deep thoughts. But at least there is a question that comes to your mind, well, how do I know what's true anymore? Do I really know what's true about God, what's not? What he said, what he didn't? There's so many ideas, so many voices. How can I really know? I got doubts. I got questions. John's writing saying, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Because amidst the smorgasbord of ideas, and I'm going to look for as many opportunities to say smorgasbord today as I possibly can. <laughs> amidst all the ideas, John wants to equip us to know what's true, what's from God versus what's not. Well, How? Well, let's look together. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Open your own Bible. The, the blue Bibles in front of you are on page 987. Open a Bible app. Follow with me on the screen. But 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. How can we know, amidst all the voices, what is actually from God? John said, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the land, into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. 
You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So if you pray with me, God, um, there's so many people who claim to speak for you or about you, um, or at least spiritual realities. And Lord, it can get quite confusing sometimes, if not overwhelming and create a lot of anxiety. Lord, but we want to be people who know the truth, because you tell us the truth sets us free. And so will you give us the ability as a whole community and each individual to know how to discern what's from you and what's not? Because by knowing, we grow to love you and we are free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Some of you may remember that before Jesus was crucified, one of the big questions Pontius Pilate asked him was, what is truth? (laughs) Well, 2,000 years later, it seems that we're still asking that question. But I don't know that we're any more clear on, on the answer. But according to the Bible, we've been asking that question, what is truth, since our very beginning as human beings. So why is the answer so elusive, especially regarding the truth about who God is? Why are there so many contradictory ideas about who God is? And how does God's story in Scripture answer those questions? Well, we see that since the start... Humanity has been searching for the truth about God, but without God. (laughs) So what's the truth about God? For some of you, that might be one of your foremost questions that you're asking regularly. For others of you, that, that may not be the most immediate question for you. But no matter who you are, this is a question that we can't help but bump into eventually because the truth about God is intertwined with the truth about our universe, who we are, why we're here, what happens after this life. So whether this question is confronting you right now or eventually, like it will be eventually. So again, why does the answer to what is true about God seem so elusive? Well, We're a a funny lot as human beings, and it's a bit of a paradox. But humanity's twisted tendency since the beginning has been to trust sources other than God to tell us about God. Case in point, let's go back to the beginning. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. At the very start, all creation, including them, were in harmony with our God. They knew God. And within that garden, they had one law. Don't eat of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. (laughs) But what we do, you know what we did. Let's check it out. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. This crafty serpent came in and posed the question, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now pause here. I realize in this moment that I think where we as human beings, and yes, I do mean we, slipped up in the very beginning, was that from that very question, Eve could have responded, did God really say, you know what, let me go ask God, I know him. She could have easily said, 
uh, why don't you go ask God? I can introduce you. (laughs) But she didn't go to God about God. Instead, she tried to reason with the serpent with her own intellect. And she said, no, as as I recollect, God said, do not eat or touch that tree or we will die. Interestingly, Genesis 2, God didn't say anything about touching the tree. He just mentioned eating the tree. Eve's not quite getting it all right. But since Eve didn't go to God, the serpent saw it as his opportunity to now question the truth about God. Or now give a different narrative about God. And he says, you will not certainly die for on the down low, Eve. Let me... uh, Let me tell you the real truth about God. Because the thing is, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, a.k.a. the truth. You can't trust God to tell you the truth about God. Instead, trust the creature, not the creator. So, seeing that the fruit looked good, And with the rising dreams of being her own independent God, Eve and Adam trusted their own desires more than God's word. Trusted their own intellect more than God's word. And sin's curse began. And that's the deal. That if God's enemy can point us to trust our human intellect or feelings as the measurement of truth, then he can lead us into darkness and confusion. Because we see from the beginning that the search for truth has not been a psychological problem. Primarily, it has been a spiritual battle. Because the serpent knew that to know God truly as he is, is to love him. But if Satan can get us trusting faulty tabloid level sources for the truth about God, he can lead us away. Thus, John's saying here, do not trust, do not believe every spirit. Many speak about God, but they're not from God's Spirit. But as human beings, we have this tendency that instead of going to God, we're prone to trust our human intellect instead to discern truth. To find God, we go to the universities. We go to the people with degrees. We go to the self-proclaimed religious experts. Trust them. And our assumption is, well, we're only going to believe and trust the aspects of God that are, can fit into our nice, neat little box of understanding. Or, instead of intellect, many of us may be more prone to, or inclined to trust our feelings as the ultimate barometer of truth. What ideas do you hear about God that make you feel the best? That's your truth. However, we actually redefine truth by treating it that way. Going from an objective reality outside of ourselves to a subjective feeling that depends on each individual's experiences, mood, or maybe what they had for breakfast that morning. There's a comedian, Stephen Colbert, who calls this understanding of truth, truthiness. He said, because he calls it truthiness when we ultimately, what we feel is true becomes more important than what is true. And when our feelings become the barometer, we as a society automatically elevate teachers, preachers, influencers who know how to appeal to our deep seated emotions and fears. 
And oftentimes those very people, they have no one holding them accountable for what they teach. And so we end up going all sorts of ways as far as what is true or not about God, leading to a ton of anxiety as a society. But listen, our intellects, our feelings are important aspects of how God made us and how we're meant to relate with him. But they are poor measurements on their own of truth, of truth. If I wanted to get to know Bill here, how would you recommend that I go about getting to know him? Would I get here and just from a distance pontificate about Bill? I'll look up Bill's profile on Facebook. I'll try to figure out all that I can about Bill. Or I could just say, this is how I feel around Bill. This is the truth about Bill. You say, what are you doing? No, go talk to Bill. Bill's right there. Right? You can get to know him yourself. So why do we not do that with God? Well, Kirk, because I can't see God. Bill is right there. God's not. Well, not so fast. Because the world was dark in the dark about God, but God came in the flesh. And this, my friends, changes everything we think we know about God. Because John tells us that this one reality slices through the noise, the rumors, pontifications, bumper sticker theology about God so that we can know him. So he says in verses 2 and 3, he says that we'll know who's speaking the truth about God, who is from God, because they will acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh in every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus, not from God. So amidst all the words, the voices, those proclaiming to know the truth about God, John says, pish posh, I want you to first, who is acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has come in the flesh? And to acknowledge doesn't just mean that you believe it. To acknowledge doesn't just mean that you've listed it on your website in your belief statements. To acknowledge here, this original word means to declare, to celebrate the reality of Jesus boldly and openly. That he's the center. He's not just something mentioned at the end of a sermon in a quick passing. But he's the center of it all. All right, so why then, John, is the reality of Jesus the essential element for me knowing if someone is from God or not? Well, first, I got three, three points on that. First, because to see Jesus is to see God. He is the Christ that means God's Messiah, eternal King, fully God. John said he was the Word in the beginning who was with God and was God. Through him all things were made. In him was life and light for all. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together fully God. But John also exclaims, but he also came in the flesh. You remember John opened his letter saying like, I hung out with him. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. I'm not just making this up. Like he was in front of me. I hung out with him. And the scriptures say that yes, he was the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3, he's the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. You see, Jesus did live. 
is a person in history, but he wasn't just another religious guru or spiritual expert. We got plenty of those. He was the one and only fully God, fully man. Therefore, to see him is to see God. But second, to trust in Jesus is to know God. Because from the start, as we read earlier, sin's curse has darkened our intellects and hardened our hearts. But as sin taunted us with death, Jesus came and he says, I'm I'm the gate to God. I'm, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I'm the way, the truth, the life. Meaning God came, but not only to be with us, he came to be salvation for us. Because only God Please get this part. Only God is without sin. He is holy. But only a sinless man could be the sufficient sacrifice for all sin. So it was the God-man named Jesus who came to give his life as a ransom to liberate us from sin's curse. Therefore, he suffered and died bearing our curse to redeem us from it. And while his death was necessary to redeem us, oh, it couldn't hold him down though, could it? Because he was laid in a grave on Friday, but sin's curse was reversed on Sunday when he stepped out of that grave in his resurrected body. Why is that so significant? Because that means that we trust in not a dead Jesus, but a living one. And not only one who died to forgive our sins, but rose again to give us new life. He's freed us from sin's grip, and now his spirit takes residence within us. Therefore, to trust Jesus is to know God. You tracking with me so far? But last, so to see Jesus is to see God. To trust in Jesus is to know God. But last, to worship Jesus is to be with God forever. So why else is Jesus at the very center of all of this? Well, I think it's St. Augustine who said, The truth always has a way of revealing itself in its own time. Amidst the smorgasbord of ideas today, so many nations, cultures, influencers, but let me say, they come, they go, don't they? But if we serve a God who is alive, he is forever. He is forever. And it's only a matter of time that we'll reveal the truth for what it is. And for those who worship Jesus, you can be rest assured that you will be forever with Jesus. And but those who do not love Jesus, the warning to them is you will be eternally separated from him. So please give your life to Jesus because one day he will return and in his glory all deception will be exposed under his light and only he will remain And this is the reason why all the scriptures point to Jesus. Why the Spirit of God points us to Jesus. Because as John says, while it's easy to get overwhelmed by all the messages and all the things, he says the true test is Jesus. But instead of trying to look and figure it all out, he says look for Jesus. Because to see him is to see God. Trust Jesus because through him we know God. Worship Jesus because that is your eternity. And that's why. The scriptures and the Holy Spirit always say, him, (laughs) Jesus, Jesus. 
And so when all the messages and self-proclaimed messengers for God come at us, know then that because of Jesus, we've been given the spirit of truth. And with the spirit of truth in us, we can test all claims against, about God against the reality of Jesus. So again, John insists that we know it is so easy to get overwhelmed. Or to feel insecure, because there's a lot of really smart, spiritual-sounding people out there, is there not? But he says instead, test the spirits. Test means examine, look it over, investigate. Well, what does that look like? I think it looks a lot like this story in Acts 17. Acts chapter 17, uh, we, we, we get right in the middle of Paul and Silas' second missionary journey. And halfway through that journey, they stop in this Greek city called Thessalonica. And like they always did when they got to a new city, they went to the synagogue and they shared with with the local Jews there about Jesus. And it says that a few believed, but as happened in several other cities, others, that didn't feel good to them. That didn't feel right to them. They felt threatened by the message of Jesus. And so they stirred up a mob. They arrested a few Christians. And Paul and Silas escaped in the night and went to the next city called Berea. But in Berea, they get a very different experience. And once they get to Berea, they do the same thing. They went to the synagogue. They're sharing about Jesus. But this time, it says that the Berean Jews received the message with great eagerness and examined, tested, looked over the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, there are two practical qualities that, I, that we see from their example. First, that when we hear a message about God, we examine it against what God said. That instead of first measuring it against our own intellect or filtering it through our own feeling, the Bereans did what Adam and Eve did not do. They went straight to God with it. Hey, we got God's word. Let's go to him about this, about this Jesus thing. But of course for us, We have God's word. We know Christ. We have his spirit. We go straight to him about it. See, to be a Christian does not mean that we're gullible or naive. Having faith doesn't mean that we check our minds at the door. But we use the intellects that God has given us so that we can measure what we're hearing against the truth of what God said. And not only that, but when our intellects fall short, Because sometimes I'm not very smart and people go over my head. Jesus said we've been given the spirit of truth who will lead us into all truth. That we can talk to God about this thing. And that's why in his letter, John is so encouraged. Because he said that the Christians he's writing to, he says, you guys have overcome all of these false messages. He says, because the one who is in you, that is the spirit of truth, is greater than the world. Because the enemy of God is out to con us. And he often does so, please hear this, by appealing to our deepest felt needs and figuring out how he's going to exploit that. And it's confusing because there are even some false prophets, and there's a few examples in Scripture, who even do signs and wonders. But in the midst of all of that, he's saying, wait, wait, use that intellect God has given you. Go back to his word. Open them up. Do it with each other. And ask, what is true, what is not true, and what I'm hearing. But second, 
When we hear a message about God, eagerly receive it when it is true. <laughs> and, that, and that's key. Because we see that the, the Bereans were not gullible, but they were also not cynical or jaded. Because sometimes out of fear of being conned, we automatically become cynical about anything that's not from our specific subsection of the Christian world. Like if it's not my favorite pastor or teacher or preacher, we're suspicious immediately. And sometimes we reject it before we try to understand it. And so some Christians, I've seen too, instead of keeping their eyes on Jesus, I've seen some Christians who spend all their energy going on theological witch hunts. You know, for heretics. But we see from the Bereans a different example. We see that they tested it. When they saw that it was true, they received it with joy. And see, for us, because we live in a global interconnected world, we do have access to sincere, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled followers of Christ from around the world who may not be from our tradition or may not be from our culture or may not be from our denomination. But man, how they have enriched my understanding and love for Christ. And God may want to speak to you through someone, but oftentimes if we're so suspicious, we're not going to hear it. But I thank God for all the plethora of people who are genuine followers of his who are teaching across the world. So instead of rejecting the message before we understand it, which is what the Thessalonians did, like the Bereans, we humbly listen, prayerfully examine according to who Christ is, what God's word says. Discuss it with each other because we got the spirit of truth within us. We ask questions. We wrestle through. We talk through. But when we discern it's true, we receive it with joy. That's God's way for us. Because after all, even when we're overwhelmed or confused, the spirit of truth is in us and among us. And he says that we, if we belong to him, we know his voice. And we always know his voice because he's always pointing to Jesus. And God's spirit always points us to Jesus because to know Jesus is to know the truth. So yes, we live in a world with many ideas about God, as many as the fish of the sea. It's a, everybody say it with me, smorgasbord. Yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so fun, isn't it? But actually, all of those voices is a part of the enemy's tactics to overload us and overwhelm us so that instead of thinking, we will react. And when the world feels chaotic or the future uncertain, we want to just absorb the anxiety like everybody else around us. But folks, we are not people of a feelings-based faith. We are people of the truth. People of the truth. And so no matter how we think or feel, there is a reality to who God is. But instead of leaving us to guess it, God came. And instead of leaving us in the dark, he came as the light. And instead of leaving us under sin's curse, he redeemed us. And instead of leaving us alone, he gave us his spirit of truth. And instead of leaving us lonely, he gave us a family, each other. And with the spirit of truth in each of us and us with each other, we gather around his, the scriptures in the presence of his word, exalting Jesus. And we discuss calmly and we discern the truth together. And, when, and then we rejoice in it, don't we? 
Listen, if the ability to discern truth did depend on our intellects, God help me, right? Because I would not lead myself to the right place. Or if it depended on our feelings, we got plenty of reason to be insecure and anxious. But since it rests on the reality of Christ, who has overcome, we are overcomers too. God's Spirit always points us to Jesus because to know Jesus is to know the truth. Will you stand with me and pray? God, you know how much more I wanted to say today. You know, I feel like this whole thing of how do we learn to discern your truth actually deserves a multi-week workshop. But I realize that instead of a workshop, God, like this is just who we're meant to be. This is just how we're meant to exist with each other. That to be the church, it doesn't really matter what building we meet in, God. It's, it's to gather together in your presence, around your word, and exalt Jesus. And as we do that, you continue to guide us into truth. And sharpen our ability to discern what's from you and what's not in the world around us. So Lord, I pray that you'll do just that. That you'll sharpen us as your people that you help give us greater understanding. We know that you are not a God of confusion, but a God of truth. And Lord, I pray that if anybody in here, if they got questions, if they got doubts, if they're wrestling with things, that they will feel comfortable and safe enough to ask their questions and that they will know that you will meet them right there in the midst of it. And I pray that we will be the kind of community where questions are okay, uh, but also the kind of community that will not bend or compromise in who we are. And that we are worshipers of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. That can't change, God, or we change. But together, with united around you, may we be a people who learn to discuss calmly, to wrestle, to pray, and to rejoice in your truth. Thank you that your love always rejoices in the truth. And that to love each other means to do the same. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.